Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? That's our house after Christmas right there, all that stuff piled up. We're excited to be starting a brand new series right here at the beginning of the year called Minimal. And this series is all about making space in our lives, making space for our soul, making space to be who God wants us to be and space to do what God wants us to do. Now, lest you think that this is going to be like one of those you know, here's a, a motivational speaker and a guru, and here's three time management techniques to give you life hack or something. That's not what we're doing. Um, what we're going to do is just talk about the, the, the fact that all of us are limited. How many of you woke up today and, and realized, hey, I'm not God? <laughs> right? You know the difference between God and a narcissist? God doesn't think he's the narcissist. I'm going to have to think about that for a second. Thank you, Shannon. I appreciate that. <laughs> God's not confused about who he is, but yet we sometimes think, hey, I don't have any limits. I can do it all. I can have it all. I can fill my life. I can do everything. And ultimately, what is that? It's hubris. It's arrogance. It's not understanding. I am a man. I am a woman. I'm not both of those things. I'm a man. I'm just, you know, speaking for the general populace here. I am a person and I'm not God. I can't do it all. I have some limitations. Come on. And so if I'm going to do, if I'm going to do great things, if God is going to use me, there has to be space for God to do that. And so today we're going to talk about margins, not margarine, margins. And uh, uh, sorry, that was a bad joke, but we'll get better from here. Talk about margins. You know, you can talk about margins and really you can find out where people stand with margins, with space, with creating buffer zones. You can tell so much about people because there's really only two types of people. And you can tell by the way they, they get their food together at, at a buffet or, or at Thanksgiving, right? So if you, know, you kind of know where I'm going here, you know there's these two types of people and, and maybe you're, you're going to fall into one of these categories. You're the person who you get your food and it always has to go together, right? So it's like mashed potatoes, gravy, stuffing, turkey, ham, and it's all one big smashed together smorgasbord. How many of you that just makes you want to die, right? Because you're the other type of person who has to basically make sure that you have very, very, you build a border wall. You know what I'm saying? It's going to be a beautiful wall. And you're going to build it right in between the mashed potatoes and the gravy, right? You're you going to make sure that the pea, peas do not belong with the mashed potatoes. The peas have to stay over here. And you're going to have a buffer zone, right? Basically, the border of North Korea and South Korea is what you do between your food on your plate. That's how my wife is. If her food touches another kind of food, oh my, that's disgusting. You know, we could get rid of that. And you can tell if you're this kind of person. How many of you are in that category? Like food, don't mix. Okay, that's awesome. Own it. Come on, get your hand up. That's who you are. Just own it. How many of you were like, put it all together? Peanut butter and jelly and mashed potatoes. Come on. You're kind of like, I don't know about that. But yeah, let's just put it together. I lived with a guy for a while. I should say he lived with us at my family's house. And his name was John. And John was awesome because John would always take everything left over in the fridge and put it together in one. Matt knows who I'm talking about. Put it together in one thing. And I'd be like, John, what are you doing? It's fried rice and macaroni and cheese. It's good. No, it's not good. You're weird. But you can tell so much about a person. Do they have these margins? They put these barriers. Talking about making space, putting barriers, margins in life. I remember having a conversation with my wife one time at about midnight. And uh, Bethany and I have had the privilege and pleasure to not only be married uh, to each other, but also to work together. And so we were working together in Medford at Joy Church in Medford. And we were the intern directors at the time. And so our job was to basically disciple and, and coach young people. Uh, and so that is an all-consuming thing. And so one of our interns, one of our, our young people had made a bad choice or something and had text Bethany about 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Was it about that late? 
And uh, this is for the UO people. Don't do that to us. You can text Mike Batchelder if you want to, or Nikki Dasso, but not us. Don't text us anymore because we have margins in our life, UO. So we, <laughs> were, we were there uh, laying in bed, and we get, she gets a text, and we start talking, and we start having a work chat. And I'm like, Bethany, you should be doing this. And I switch into, like, I'm the pastor of the boss mode right? And Bethany, she's getting like upset and we're going back and forth and it's, she just yells out, Jake, margins, margins. Like basically we're not at work right now. We're laying in bed. It's midnight. Shut up. You're not my boss right now. In fact, if you know at home who the real boss is, people say, well, who wears the pants in this house? I'm just going to tell you right now, it doesn't matter who's wearing pants. Somebody is in charge and it's not you husbands. It's not. A man's home is his wife's castle. So (laughs) she screams, Jake, margins. And, it, and I'm like, oh, I'm so sorry, hon. And I, and I tried to quickly retract my stupidity, which you can't put it back in a bottle. But I was crossing the barrier, right? I was crossing the margin. And, you know, margins in our life are one of those things that are the least exciting to talk about because it's more exciting to talk about the thing rather than the space around the thing, right? But they're one of the most important things. Margins are absolutely critical in life, what are margins? Margins are the sidelines around the football field. I've never played football at any high level, but if I did, I would be glad not to have like concrete walls or something on the side of the field when you're trying to catch a pass and run out of bounds. We have margin around the football field, the sidelines. What about the shoulders on the side of the road? How many of you that like to, that you're always the person that's always How many of you are glad? You know what I'm talking about? How many of you are glad for margins, right? Because if you didn't have those margins, and you know who you are, you're the same person that mixes mashed potatoes and peanut butter and jelly. You're the kind of person that basically looks at the lanes as suggestions. <laughs> Is that you, Wade? Yeah, you're just kind of weaving in and out, right? They're figuring it out as you go down the road. I love it when it's a semi-truck. Those kind of people should not be allowed to drive a truck. You're like, do you know what you're doing right now? Just weaving in and out, right? Weaving in and out. And how many of you are glad for that margin on the side of the road? If you've ever been run off by somebody who thinks lanes are suggestions, you're happy that there's a space to go. You're happy for the margin. What else is margin? Margin is the silence or the space between the notes in a song. Do you know what music would sound like without, without space or silence, without margin? It would sound like this. It's horrible. Some of the music Judah listens to in the office sounds exactly like that. Yeah. Okay, anyways, margin is important. How many of you are glad we've got margin in music? We've got space and silence. How many Sting fans we have in here? Sting, the police, got any Sting fans? Come on, all right, some older dudes and me. All right, that's awesome. Love Sting. Sting said, the space between the notes is more important than the notes themselves. He gets music. He understood that, the margin. The margin is the white space, the empty space on the page, not the words themselves. If you didn't have margin in a book, there was no white space, no empty space around the letters on the page, you wouldn't read anything. It would just be a big black blotch. So margins might seem boring, but they're vital. They're incredibly vital in life. The margins that we, that we make in our life. Now, the person that is the ultimate margin master, it's not Oprah, it's not Dr. Oz, it's not Ricky Lake, it's Jesus. Jesus was and and is the margin master. There's a story that takes place in Luke chapter 5, verse 15. It's just a short little window into the life of Jesus. And I love these kind of moments because when you get a picture of how Jesus operates in his life, how did he manage himself? What kind of margins did he make? It's fascinating to me because he was incredible at this. 
Jesus, in, in Luke chapter 5, verse 15, it says, But despite Jesus' instructions, the report of his power spread even faster, and vast crowds came to hear him preach and be healed of their diseases. But listen to this in verse 16. But Jesus often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. You know what this is saying right here? It's saying margin, saying space, minimal, making space. Jesus was highly successful. Jesus was absolutely loaded to the gills with power. He had what people wanted. Jesus had over a million followers on Twitter, if you know what I'm saying. Like Jesus had what everybody wanted. He had the power. He was healing people. Imagine if you found out, hey, there's this guy. He's got long hair, looks like a hippie, but your mom's going to get healed of cancer if you get her there. Come on. You'd get out there, right? Hey, there's this guy out in Vanita. Hey, there's this guy up in, up in the Coburg Hills and he's, he's teaching great stuff and he's, 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 the things he says give us hope and he's healing people and he's bringing this great new message. People were flocking, great crowds, all these, and the report is going all over the place, vast crowds. Now here's how, how I would respond if vast crowds were interested in something that I was giving. I'd be like, oh, sweet, clear my schedule. I need to be with the people. I need to be with the crowd. I need to be preaching. Oh man, God's using me to heal people? Well, bring all the sick people. Well, what about, what about your day off? Oh, I don't need a day off. People are sick. They need my power. This is what Jesus did. He doesn't think the way that we think. He doesn't just say, okay, I'm gonna maximize everything. It says that as the vast crowds are coming to him and all of this stuff is going on, the success that he's having and, and the power that he's exhibiting, that he often withdrew to the wilderness for prayer. As your success increases in life, the demands upon you are going to increase. Come on, somebody. When good things happen to you, the demands are going to increase. Let me tell you the very best thing other than Jesus that ever happened to me is my beautiful wife, Bethany, and she's way too good for me. Come on, marry up, guys. Way too good for me. But you know what? Having this beautiful wife, I have to take care of her. I have to think about her, right? There's the good thing that she is, it brought demands upon, upon me. Right, Rather than just being a bachelor laying around watching football, never taking a shower, you know, how that works. Playing video games, picking my nose, living in mom's basement, you know, that kind of thing, like some of you people out here. Some of you young guys. No, I'm just kidding. You need to get something today. It's called a job. So <laughs> when, I, when Bethany and I, we, we were, you know, we got married and we figured out life and how wonderful it is to be married and just enjoying each other. And then this curse, I mean, a blessing from God came, our kids. Just messing. And uh, our kids came along. And how many of you know, again, a good thing happened, but the demands go up. You get the job that you always wanted. Demands go up. You, you begin to have success. You write a book and it, and it does well. Or you, you get a promotion at work or something happens and success goes up. And what happens is demands go up. And the people that are going to be able to succeed are the ones that understand margin and making space in their life. Success brings demands. Jesus is making a difference. He's helping people but he has the wisdom to make space. I don't know if you're like me, but I get overwhelmed fairly often, like weekly basis probably. Anybody with me here? Feel overwhelmed, like the weight of the world is on my shoulders, like there's way too much things to do and not enough time to do it. Anybody else? Feeling like the demands upon me, even, even from the good things in my life, not from the bad things, not from the problems, but even from the good things, work, uh, my family, our house, all the possessions that God has blessed us with, those can become a burden and they, and they can put a demand. Come on. And I feel overwhelmed. Here's, but here's the thing. And I really do believe this. I believe that 
One of the reasons that I feel overwhelmed and probably one of the reasons that you potentially feel overwhelmed at times is because we have a problem with margins. That we, we don't necessarily have an external problem. Uh, we don't have maybe too many blessings or you know, we're not gonna get rid of our spouse. I wouldn't recommend that or quit your job because then you have a lot of margin and not anything to do with it. But we have a problem with the space that we try to do too much, we take on too much and we neglect to think about the margin. We give more attention to the thing rather than the space around the thing. So let's talk about this. Let's talk about margins. It's tough in our culture, isn't it? Because we live in a maximization culture. Our culture is obsessed with ignoring margin and pursuing the max. I remember when I was uh, about 19 or 20 and I was going to buy a, a piece of property. It was going to be my first you know, adult thing to do. And I sat down with the mortgage guy and the loan officer, and they said to me, let's find out how much house you can buy. Okay, and that stuck with me because the thinking at the time, and I think, you know, he's just doing his job, so not putting anything on him, but the thinking wasn't, what is the right decision for you to make in light of your priorities, in light of your finances, so on and so forth. It was like, how can we max out every dollar you have and get the most? Now, if all, if, if your whole life is just about a house, that's fine to do that. If that is your number one thing, that's your number one focus, but that's not for us, right? Is it? You're going to have a car. You're going to have all kinds of things. So the the thinking of maximization, the problem is you end up getting rid of all of the margin, but that's how our culture thinks, isn't it? How much house can you afford? How much car can you afford? How much of this can you do? How can we maximize everything? How can we, we get a bigger house? How can we get a better car? How can we get a more money out of our career? How much can I afford? Pushing it to the max. And we believe this big fat lie that we are like God and we can have it all and we can do it all and we don't have to, we don't have to think about our limitations. But it's unwise because we, what we end up doing is not maximizing but limiting ourselves. Because if you're overwhelmed, you cannot overcome. Anybody with me? The days when I'm overwhelmed and I'm discouraged and I feel like, oh, it's heavy on top of me, those aren't the days when I just crush it. It's the days when I have the space in my time, in my energy, in my emotions, in my focus to do something, not everything. Come on, this is going to help some people. See, here's the problem with the I can have it all kind of thinking and the maximizing kind of thinking. What happens when you lose your job? What happens when you get hurt? What happens when you get pressed? What happens when the economy drops and you have seen how much house can I afford? We found out what happened, right? Down in Medford, a lot of our friends were invested in real estate. And when the big crash happened in the economy, they lost pretty much everything because they were pushed to the max. Those that had margin were able to take in a financial hit and survive. Margins are there for when you get pressed. The thing about margins is they're not, they're not sexy. They're not fun. They're not great when everything's going good. In fact, some people might be like, why are you saving money? Why are you saving money? Well, I'm saving money for the time when I don't have as much as I do right now. Well, what do you mean? That's not going to happen. You don't know. Why, why do you have so much free time? Why do you have time around, around the things you do? Why don't you maximize? Why don't you, you know, why, do, why, are, you, why are you taking so much time to get ready and, and saving yourself space here? Because I don't know what's going to happen on the way to work. I, I don't know if there's going to be an accident or traffic. So I, I build margin. It's there for when I get pressed. Margin is there for when things don't go according to plan, like the shoulder of the road. I don't get on the freeway thinking, I'm so glad that margin's there because I'm going to use it all today. <laughs> you know, we don't think that way. What we're, what, why it's there is for when something doesn't go according to plan and 
somebody veers into your lane and then the margin is there and you're like, thank you, thank you, that somebody had the wisdom and foresight to put some margin in here. Margins don't just protect us from the downside, though. Margins create longevity. Margins create longevity because if you have the space and the margin to take the down, you can weather the storm, come on, in life, and you can, you can keep going. I would, wouldn't you rather have like 80% of someone for 50 years than 110% for two? Right? And yet we think in this maximized way, but it's, it's a lie. Margins don't just create longevity, though. Margins create clarity because margin says, I'm going to eliminate everything. I'm going to talk about this a little bit today about focus. Margins get rid of all the things that are unimportant and then they just allow you to, you have to cut away the unimportant to see what is essential. They create clarity, create health in us. So we get this. I mean, everybody here is kind of nodding along. Yeah, I need margins. We understand this, but here's, the, here's a couple traps we fall into. If you take this message about margins and about minimal and about making space in your life, if you take this and you apply the same kind of logic of the I can have it all, then you're going to fall into some traps. And this, these are some of the, the traps that people fall into. They both start with B and they both equal burnout. The first trap that people fall into is the trap of balance, which is this. I just have to get everything in my life in balance. How many of you have done this or tried this? And, and I want you to think about this person who has 40 packages of all different shapes and weights and sizes in their arms and they're walking you know, down the road like this and they're saying, well, if I can just keep it in balance, then I'm okay. And you're like, that's not okay. If you have too much, it doesn't matter how balanced you have it. It's making you ineffective and, it's, and at some point you are just gonna drop it. The problem with trying to live your life to this idea of balance is that you're always just trying to get to zero. Think about that for a second. That if you win, if you win, you're at zero, but if you lose it all, if you fall out of balance at all, it screws up the whole thing. Come on, so balance is a trap. You can't be looking for balance, that just, you're still carrying too much. And so we have this other trap that we fall into. And it starts with B2, it's the be better trap. Well, as I'm trying to keep it in balance, oh, you know what, if I could just be better, if I could be better at time management, if I could be better at organization, if I could be more like the people that build walls between their food on their plate, if I could just get better, then I could keep it all in balance. And here's where we end up, burned out. Come on. I mean, I'm just telling you, I'm a pro at this right here. I'm the guy that like gets out Evernote. All right, I'm gonna rethink my life. You just did that yesterday, I know, but I have the answer today. <laughs> it's gonna be different. One, two, three, four, five, six. I have 23 priorities, 19 New Year's resolutions. Come on, where are you at? Where are you at? And I'm gonna get it all in balance. I'm gonna manage work, family, spirituality, songwriting, being an author. I'm gonna manage being a pastor. I'm gonna balance it all and I'm just gonna get better. I will be so good at it. I will be so good at doing too much that I will, I will turn over human history and it doesn't work, guys. And where does it end up? You get sick, you get burned out, you get bummed out, you get busted and broken. It's not good. Why? Because I'm not God. You're not God. You can't do it all. If you're carrying too much, it's not about balance. It's about getting some stuff off your plate, getting rid of some stuff. Come on. Making some decisions to say, you know what? I'm not just gonna think about the thing. I'm gonna think about the space around the thing. And here's the, here's the thing. Ultimately, margins are there to protect your most valuable asset. And your most valuable asset is your soul. And Jesus says it in this brilliant 
philosophical statement in Matthew 16, 26. He says, what do you benefit? It's a rhetorical question with an implied answer. He says, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? And he said, is anything worth more than your soul? And the answer is no. Because see, if somehow you were able to get it in balance and be better and get the whole world and you're the person there and you've got it all, right? You're holding all the packages and you've managed to balance it all and you're strong enough and you're organized enough and you're such an example to the rest of us of how what slackers we are and you've got it all there and you're all in line. The problem is you have, you've made an exchange. You will lose yourself in the process and so there you are holding it all and you have no soul. Some of us know people like this, don't we? There's the kind of people that will trade a wife and kids for a career. They will make deals with the devil. They'll lose their soul. They will give away something that is actually essential for something that is not because they've said, I can be in balance and I can be better and I'm like God and I can hold it all. And it's hubris. Because the answer is that nothing is worth more than your soul. The answer is that as a human being, with our limitations, we have to make trade-offs and say, you know what? To really make space in my life, I'm going to have to say no to a lot more things than I say yes to. Come on, this is going to help some people today. I've got to be willing to say, God, what do you want me to live for to the exclusion of everything else? Because I'm going to build some margins in my life. Today, I want to give you three margins that we need to create three margins that we need to create in our life. Number one, we need to create the margin of focus. The margin of focus. A lot of people think focus is about what you are looking at. It's not. It's about what you're not looking at. So here's the thing. I am not married to a lot more women than I am married to. Right? I am wearing a lot less shoes than the shoes I'm wearing today. Think about that for a second. There are, what, millions, billions of women in the world, and I don't think I had a chance with a lot of them, but you know what I'm saying, like, that I could have married, but I didn't. I selected Bethany. My focus is on her, but it's really about all of the rejected options. You hear what I'm saying? Focus is about eliminating options. Focus is about getting rid of things. I love what John Maxwell said. John Maxwell said, you cannot overestimate the unimportance of practically everything. And yet we're trying to be better and be in balance. Well, I, gotta, I have to be, keep track of the ducks. I got to be a good pastor. I got to be a good husband. I got to be a good father. I got to make sure that I'm making enough money. What's my five-year plan, my 10-year plan, my 15-year plan, my 50-year plan? Oh, crap. I, if I have a 50-year plan, I got to think about stuff that old people got to think about now. Now I got more worries, right? You with me? Focus, the it's about eliminating things, the unimportance of, of practically everything, to, real to realize only a few things in life are actually important. And let me just tell you, when you will get this margin of focus, when you will make space and you will begin to look at what you need to look at, just it will bring so much freedom. How many of you have realized that most of your worries, the weight of worry that you carry in your life is about things that are really unimportant, that never happened? right? They, you were worried about it. It never took place. It never happened. And I, I'm like a professional worrier. I have a PhD in worry. I can worry about things you would not even imagine. I worry about like accidents that I'm like the guy that I can see the future. I can see how people are going to die with certain things. Like that microphone stand, I could see how you could die right now. I mean, I, could just, I can see. I'm worried about it. I'm actually nervous for you right now, Chase, that you would trip and fall and, you know, land. I mean, I'm in, I have a PhD in worry. 
Anybody with me? And, you know, what I've found, though, in life is that almost, I mean, the majority of everything I've ever worried about never even happens. Only a few things are actually important. And so real focus, it brings tremendous freedom because it sets you free from all the weight of thinking about all this kind of stuff. In the 1400s, a word was, was coined, invented. It's the word priority. And for 500 years until the 1900s, it remained a singular word, priority. And it means the thing that's prior to, the, it's the most important thing, the thing that is number one. But after the, or as a part of the Industrial Revolution, that word priority got changed and made plural and it became priorities, as if by changing the word we could alter reality and now have more than the one most important thing. Isn't that funny? And so you'll hear people talk about, well, these are my priorities. Now, if you're using that word and you're talking about a list of one, two, three, four, five, and you have a, num you know, a number one priority, so you're saying priorities plural as in I have important things, that's fine. But, but that's not the way we use it. We say, these are my priorities. Well, what's your priority? Well, it's God, it's my family, it's my health, it's this, and all this kind of stuff. And the way we're looking at it is not that there's a number one, it's that there's 10 number ones. And we have no focus. And you're like, well, are you saying family's not important or, or health is not important? No, it's very important. It can be on the list. It needs to be on the list. But something is always number one. Just because you can make a word fit something doesn't change reality. Come on. Just because you can use language to describe something abstract, it doesn't actually change the fact that you can only have a priority, not priorities. Something is always number one. Something is always number two. And so the biblical authors, they, they give us wisdom and insight into this. Listen to what Jesus said. He said in Matthew 6, Seek the kingdom of God above all else. What is that saying? Not, well, put it on your list. It's part of your priorities. I love when people say stuff like, well, you know, like going to church, that's, that's one of my priorities and my family and all this kind of stuff. Jesus said, no, 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 no. To, to really be my follower, you're going to have to get number one. You're going to have to put number one in the right spot. You're going to have to have focus. He says, seek first the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. <clears throat> Paul, the apostle in Philippians chapter three, he kind of, gives us the same principle. Philippians chapter 3, verse 13. No, dear brothers and sisters, I've not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race, and this is, listen, this is his focus, and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. The Apostle Paul realized this. My priority, the thing that I will focus on to the exclusion of other things, is that I will chase after that thing that, that God wants from me. He's chasing after resurrection life. He's chasing after the kingdom. He's saying, God is number one. I want to help you out here today. Again, I'm not a guru. I don't want to help you manage your time better. Maybe some of the stuff I say will help you practically. But ultimately, if you could walk away with nothing else, walk away with this. If you make God and his kingdom your number one priority, everything else will fall into place. What Jesus says is seek the kingdom of God above all else. And then he goes on and says, and live righteously. In other words, live rightly. Align your life according to that principle, that which is first. And it says, he will give you everything you need. So instead of this sort of game of balance and being better, you can be focused on God and his kingdom and live according to that and watch God make everything work for you. Okay, so the margin of focus. Here's an action step for this, this margin of focus. 
This week, I want you to sit down, encourage you to sit down and write out what I call an essentials list, essential list. And it's gonna be no more than five items long. Why, why five? Well, I just figured you have five fingers. That's about a handful. That should be about all you can hold and carry, right? So the people that have 19 priorities, like that's ridiculous. You need to like chill out and, and hang out with an extrovert or whatever. Um, that's me. I worry like that. So five. And you're going to write out, these are the five things, the five essential things. And these are going to be big, the big rocks in your life, the big things. Not like, well, you know, do the Ducks win a national championship? That can't be on your list, guys. I know that's important, but it can't be there. Um, I know, sorry, John. I guess if you don't have a lot of important things in your life. But we're talking like kingdom of God or my relationship with God, number one. My, my family, right, number two. And I want you to do this. I don't want to give it to you, but you write out. You say, God, what are the essential things in my life? What makes me me? What have you called me to do? And I want you to, to look at it every day. Once you've written it out, take the time, pray, seek God, but write out, these are my essential things. These are the things that actually matter in my life. And then I want to give you permission to stop worrying about everything else. In fact, I want to encourage you to not even think about anything else. What would happen in your life if you carved away all the things that really didn't matter and focused on what did matter? Well, maybe that, that one thing that I was really worried about would happen. Yeah, but you would move all those big things forward so much that the little inconsequential things wouldn't even matter. Margin of focus. Make that list. I encourage you to do that. All right, number two. We need to create the margin of time. The margin of time. This is a big one because in our culture, we wear busyness like a badge of honor. It's one of my biggest pet peeves. Talk to people. Hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm just so busy. I'm so busy. I'm so busy. This is incredibly busy. I can't believe how busy I am. Two things are being spoken here. Number one, I'm better than you because I'm so busy. I've, I'm, I'm in balance. I'm working so hard. I'm so busy. People, my, my time is in such high demand because what are you saying there? I'm important. I matter. You need to respect me because I'm busy, Right? The other thing that you're telling all the rest of us is that you suck at life, right? Busyness, that's, sorry, pardon my French. That's for the UO crowd. Second service will clean up, clean up the language. You're saying that you stink at living. Busyness doesn't mean you're good at life. Always being too busy doesn't mean you're good at life. It means you're bad at it. Think about that. It means you don't know how to focus and organize yourself at least to the extent where you have enough time to do your life in an appropriate and effective way. So if you're that kind of person that's always a slave to being busy, there's something wrong, not something right. No, you don't understand how important my job is. Get over yourself. Well, my children are harder than your children. No, they're not. I'll tell you that right now. You don't know my wife. You don't know the demand she puts on my time. Get over yourself. Busyness, don't wear it like a badge of honor. It doesn't mean you're good at life. It means you're bad at life. Did you know that it's scientifically proven, this has been researched and it's scientifically proven that we underestimate always. If somebody says, how long does it take for you to get to work? We always underestimate because we always go to that one time when we hit every light, right? We happen to be driving a Maserati and we were able to go 200 miles an hour. And so we say, it takes me eight minutes, eight minutes and 23 seconds. No, it did one time, but normally it takes you 15 minutes, right? But it's been scientifically proven that if somebody says, how long does it take you to get this job done? Because that pride inside of us, we always want to say, I'm, I'm, I'm going to think of myself as at my very, very best. What's the very fastest I've ever written a sermon? Well, I wrote a sermon in three hours one time, so therefore it takes me three hours to write a sermon. No, it usually takes me 30 because I'm a mess, right? Neurotic, always worrying about what I'm going to say on Sundays. 
And we always, but we underestimate the amount of time things take. Bethany and I on Wednesdays, we, we have a routine that we go through. She takes our kids out to Lowell or Dexter. Evie's a part of a charter school out there. So she has about a 30 minute drive and we're a one car family. Uh, and so she drops me off at work early. And so we were thinking, hey, we have to leave at this time and we can go to Dutch Brothers and get a coffee and get to the office. And we quickly, quickly realized after a couple of weeks that we completely and grossly overestimated our capacity to get three kids who are resisting arrest, right, uh, ready and to the coffee shop. And then we, we didn't realize that on River Road, everybody goes to Dutch Brothers at eight, right? You've been there, you drive by and you're like, oh my gosh, were they giving away gold bars in there? Why is there so many people? And, uh, and so we had to adjust our routine, the margin of time. Let me just tell you right now, if you are the kind of person that's always running five minutes late, it's because you have too much on your plate and you underestimate the time things take. You got to make the margin of time. You're stressing yourself out. You, you are wrecking uh, all of the moments. If you're always, every moment is butting into the next one, you're playing bumper cars in life and you're gonna, it's going to break you at some point. So here's what I want you to do. Here's an action step to help create a margin of time. And this is going to help everything. This is what we call a keystone. When you will get a hold of your time, it changes everything about your life. Your relationships get better, right? Your work performance gets better. Everything changes. Here's an action step. You're going to create margin by using what we call the 50% rule. 50% rule. 50% rule says this. Whatever you think the time it takes to do something, take 50% of that and add it to that, and that's really your time. So if you say it takes me 10 minutes to get to work, give yourself 15. If you say it takes me 30 minutes to get the kids ready for school, give yourself, what would that be, 45 minutes. 50% rule. Now, here's what this is going to do. You're like, well, it's going to take all this other time. I could be doing other things. No, it's not. It's going to make you more efficient, effective. As you are using the margin of focus, you're going to say, these are the things that really matter. You're going to give yourself that space. Take a deep breath and actually have time to show up and be five minutes early. Oh, heaven forbid. What would happen? Universe would fall out of order if you did that, right? This will transform your life. Margin of time. All right, last one. You guys all right? Good. Number three. We need to create the margin of rest. The margin of rest. This, for me, is the absolute hardest thing to do because I don't feel valuable as a person if I'm not working. Come on. So I don't know, uh, those of you, you see me up here preaching, but I do other things other than just preach. I, I'm also, you know, a living human being and all that. I don't play golf. People think pastors golf all week. I hate golf. It's demonic. But... Um, <clears throat> I write, I'm an author, I, I make music, uh, my family, and I, I have all these other things. And, and I've found in myself that one of the traps that, that I can fall into is that I don't feel valuable if I'm not always creating or producing or making, I'm making a song or I'm writing something or I'm writing a blog or I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the church or I'm, I'm, I'm with someone and I'm counseling them, I'm pouring in. And so what this has done uh, to me just as a person is that until I, until I could, I get burned out, right? I get discouraged and depressed. I'm just being real with you today. There's times when, when on a Sunday after church, I'm so exhausted and drained, I'll just go and crawl in bed and lay there. And you guys think I'm kidding when I say that. I'm not. Just completely drained. And I've realized I am a human being and I need to rest. You can't always work. If you always work and never rest, you're going to die sooner than you should. You see, this whole thing about rest is a God idea. Very, right in the very beginning of time, when God creates the whole universe, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, it says, On the seventh day, God had finished his work of creation. 
So he rested from all his work. And God didn't rest for himself. He rested for you and for me. God didn't rest because he, he gets tired. He, he, he rested because he wanted to show us, this is how you are to live. This is how I've made you to be. It says, God blessed the seventh day, declared it holy because it was the day when he rested from all his work of creation. God is the one that instituted rest. I can't tie my self-worth to always working. If I'm gonna burn out and never be effective or helpful to anybody if I die of exhaustion. Come on, somebody. Some of you need to be set free from this thing of that you're only valid or you're only worthy if you are always producing something. Well, I'm, I, I, you know, moms, we can get, you can get absorbed with, I'm just taking care of the kids. Man, they need socks, they need this, they need to get food, they need to go to school. It's okay if your kid has some candy on their face for a few hours if you need to take a break. Take a break. It's okay to say, honey, I'm just exhausted. We're gonna do the dishes tomorrow. That's fine. The universe isn't gonna fall out of order. Gotta learn how to rest. Let your soul take a breath. Here's the thing about rest that I had to learn. Rest is just as important as work. Rest is intentional inactivity. It's not the same thing as laziness or idleness. If you're the kind of person that isn't doing anything with your life and you have no vision and all you ever do is rest, you're not really resting, you're just idle or lazy, right? But if you're the kind of person that actually was working and you have a focus and you're, you're working, doing something with your life, then when you take time to rest and you make space and create a margin of rest in your life, you are doing this on purpose. It is intentional inactivity. It's for the purpose of recharging you, refreshing you, replenishing you so that you can do what God's called you to do. You can go back and have meaningful work. I discovered for myself that if I, when I, if I press through, like if I, if I don't give myself this margin of rest, that I get more and more and more and more ineffective. And if I had just rested, the thing that would have taken me 10 minutes now takes me two hours. Come on, rest. But here's the thing. This is why we don't like rest, why we shy away from it, really. Because real rest, it only takes place in a posture of humility and a posture of trust. And humility is admitting, I'm not God. I can't do it all. I have limitations. Did you know just embracing that thought today would absolutely change your life? I'm not God. I have some limitations. Just that humility. And that's a place of rest and a place of trust. To believe that if you would actually put the plow down for a few minutes, if for me, if I would just put my, my sermon aside, that Joy Church Eugene's not going to fall apart if I don't preach an A plus every week. Come on. That your business is going to be okay if you don't steal from your wife and kids and just go home at a right time. Like your business will survive. Come on. I'm preaching to some people today. That it takes humility. I'm not God. I'm limited. I need to take, I take a break from time to time regularly. And I have trust that God's got this. God's going to keep everything okay. The world went on before I was here and it will go on after I'm gone. Posture of humility, posture of trust, margin of rest. And here's the beautiful thing. Rest is the antidote to stress. We think work is the antidote to stress, but it's not. It's rest. When you are overburdened and overwhelmed, the answer is not to like do more and bear down. The answer is to, to get into that posture of humility and that posture of trust and rest. So here's the action step for this today. I want to encourage you to begin to schedule rest the same way that you do work. So all of us, we know this is my work time. This is what I do. I go to work. Maybe you have a nine to five or something, and this is when I work. 
But I want you to intentionally schedule in the moments when you are going to be still and know that there's a God. And you can, you can, rest doesn't just mean that you just lay there or something. Rest doesn't mean sleeping. That's part of it. But rest is intentional inactivity. In other words, I am not creating. I am not producing. I am not functioning. I am not, I am not adding value right now. I am letting God speak to me. I'm letting something entertain me. I'm, my soul is being fed. I'm reading something that is replenishing me. Come on. I'm resting intentionally inactive. So schedule that. Put it in your calendar. Put it in your day planner. Hey, this is my time to rest. This is my time to take a bath. And y'all can watch cartoons, but I'm doing this, right? Because I want to be a good mom for you tomorrow. I'm going to kill you if I don't get some rest, right? Dads, they're not always just locked into work, right? We have margins and buffers. Create the margin of focus, the margin of time, and the margin of rest. As we finish up today, I just want to speak to anybody that feels like their soul is heavy burdened. And I want to read you some of the words of Jesus. Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary. Come to me, all of you who carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. The beautiful promise about being a follower of Jesus is that it's not about your ability to balance it all. It's not about your ability to be better. It's about your capacity to trust and give it to Jesus because he wants you to come and wear the yoke. And you know why his yoke is easy and light? It's not because it's not, it's not actually a heavy yoke. It's because he's with you and he's the one carrying that load and he's the one pacing you. Jesus wants to come and join with you and say, look, together I can show you how to live. You can wear this yoke with me and I'm gonna give you rest for your souls. Sometimes I just like say, God, I just wanna feel your peace. I just wanna feel your rest in this moment. I'm gonna give up all my cares and my worries and my concerns and I wanna take you at your word, at your promise that you would give my soul rest. 